Hello friends, Bill Allen here from our home in Tyler, Texas. And uh, I just wanted to share with you uh, some thoughts on racism and I've entitled my article uh, that I'm gonna share right now, The Issue That Won't Go Away. And I think we all like recognize that that is, uh, it is simply the truth. As bad as the novel coronavirus is and the problems it has brought, we know that one day we'll be able to talk about it in the past tense. We have seen again another issue that has continually plagued our nation since its very beginning, and we've seen it literally explode to the surface again in recent days and weeks. It is the sin of racism, and yes, that was not an accidental wording, it is a sin. Here are just a few of my thoughts. This is not a new problem, and yet it's something that from the very beginning of creation uh, should never have been a problem. God called on uh, Moses to record the events of creation, and what we see in the earliest time is God saying, let us make humanity in our own image. And so all of humanity is created in the image of God. Uh, no matter the color, no matter the economic status, no matter uh, the, the physical or mental or emotional health, um, no matter the age, uh, are, we are all created in the image of God. And yet this is not, again, a new problem. It's not a new problem. In fact, it was the very first problem and issue uh, that the church experienced in the days, in the first few chapters of Acts. It was the first issue that Satan threw at the church to really make a serious attempt uh, to divide it. And we read about that in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, the church is just going along like gangbusters. Yes, some threats and persecution had begun, but the church was continuing uh, to grow. And it looked like there was going to be no slowing down until Acts chapter 6. And what happens in Acts chapter 6 is uh, some of the uh, Jewish Christian widows who were from a Hellenistic or Greek background, all of the Christians were Jews, Jewish Christians at this point, but there were some that came from a Hellenistic background, from a Greek background, and their widows were being neglected. And uh, clearly, it was uh, a racial thing. And so the people came to the apostles with it and said, look, you've got to fix this. And to their credit, um, and because of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of that early church, they said, look, we, we have a ministry here. We, we must be devoted uh, to continuing to uh, devote ourselves to prayer and to the study of God's word. And to our leadership role, but this is a real problem, and and we want it handled. And so they called on the early church to select seven men. They're never called deacons, but that seems to be the kind of work that they did, uh, who were full of the Spirit, who were spiritually minded men, uh, who would take charge of this, of this issue and get it under control and make sure that everyone's needs were met as much as possible in these early uh, days of the church. And seven men were chosen. Two of them you know. Their names, uh, Stephen, uh, uh, a great Christian preacher and a minister who was the first uh, martyr in the cause of Christ. And also Philip, who became a great evangelist. And, uh, 
and, and there were five others. And all of these men, based on their names, seem to have been of the same background as some of those widows who were being neglected. Again, all Jewish Christians, uh, but some from a different background than others. And, and so they, they handled the problem, and the word continued to spread, and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then we fast forward to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 10. And for God to bring about the church, it took an extraordinary giving of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. When he expanded that gospel to uh, include non-Jews, Gentiles, for the first time, it also took an extraordinary gift of the Spirit. And that gift we read about in Acts uh, chapter 10. And in Acts 10, Peter has a vision, and God tells him, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. Uh, this Gentile man, Cornelius, who was very devout uh, and was seeking God, also uh, was called by God to send for Peter. And, uh, and so they did, and Peter and some others uh, went to the home of this Gentile, Cornelius, and went in. Um, and uh, realizing that this was not something that Jews were supposed to do. And they're, again, they're Jewish Christians, but they're still Jews. And there hasn't been any uh, non-Jew baptized into Christ up to this point and brought into the church. So Peter goes and he's talking to him and he, and he tells him his story and he hears Cornelius' story. And then Peter says this, uh, remarkably enough, in Acts 10, starting in verse 34. Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus, Acts 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And then Peter continues to talk about that and to talk about that and to talk about that. And, um, and it seems that God interrupts him because later on in Acts 10, God gives the Holy Spirit to uh, this Gentile man and his family, just as he had done in Acts chapter 2. And that's specific, exactly how uh, Peter uh, puts it when he's explaining his, his what happened. And later on, as he's looking around and he's seeing this happen, he says, look, who can, who can keep these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just like we did? These are the only two instances uh, where this extraordinary giving of the Holy Spirit is seen wants to begin the, the, uh, the New Testament church of Jesus Christ and wants to uh, help the apostles and the church leaders realize that this gospel truly is for all. And that all those passages of scripture that talked about how the Gentiles would receive this message one day and there would be light for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, that, that it was coming to pass and it was actually true. And so Peter commands that they be baptized and Cornelius and all his family are baptized and, and they stay there for a while and they eat together and, um, and then Peter has to go back. He has to go back uh, to Jerusalem. He has to go back to the others who were um, not gonna be very happy with what he did. And in Acts chapter 11, he has to explain his efforts and he tells the story 
of everything that went on. And there's great rejoicing with the Christian leaders there in Jerusalem. They rejoice that God has now uh, opened up for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you would think that this is going to go great. And it does, sort of. In Acts chapter 11, the disciples are called Christians first at Antioch of Syria. Uh, Barnabas goes down there. He brings Saul of Tarsus, who would become the Apostle Paul. Uh, not long after his conversion, he brings him down there, and they're, they're working, and they're preaching, and they're teaching. But they're, this is the church that begins to evangelize among the non-Jews as well. They're taking what had happened with Peter and the others, and they're actually uh, bringing it about and using it. And then Paul and Barnabas go on this mission journey in, in Acts um, uh, chapters 13 and 14, and, and they reach out to Jews and non-Jews as they go to the synagogues, but they also go to where the Gentiles are. Uh, and, it, and it's going great. And then in Acts chapter 15, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem are getting a little nervous, and they're saying, look, I, I'm not sure I like this. I, I don't know that these Gentiles should be given the gospel unless they're willing to become Jews. And so they call a conference, and, and in Acts 15, we read about that. And uh, Paul and Barnabas go up there and tell their story. Peter is there, and he tells his story. And, and uh, James, the half-brother of the Lord, who has become one of the leaders of the early church there in Jerusalem, uh, takes control and, and suggests a compromise uh, and and it's it it requires nothing of the Jew, the new non-Jewish Christians as far as them becoming Jews and accepting circumcision and all the law of Moses, but it does ask them to be considerate of their Jewish brothers and sisters, and to uh, uh, provide a, a few things for them to do that would that would help uh, there, and and so the the gospel continues. But then you come to Galatians chapter two and. And Paul telling the story of being in Antioch of Syria and, um, and Peter being there and, and welcoming the Gentile Christians and, and uh, treating them just as he does his Jewish Christian brothers and sisters. But then James and some others came from Jerusalem, some of the other uh, Jewish Christian leaders. And, and Peter started acting differently around them, so much so that even Barnabas was led astray by Peter's actions. And Paul says in Galatians 2, look, I confronted him to his face in front of them all because he was wrong. He was dead wrong. It was not right what he was doing. Uh, and I think what he was doing was he was practicing racial discrimination and prejudice. Uh, he was guilty of the sin of racism. This man who had experienced the visions himself in Acts 10 still struggled with this very difficult temptation. And so Paul says, I confronted him to his face because, look, we're all saved by the grace of God. We're all created in the image of God. And, and those of us who have received forgiveness have received forgiveness because Jesus died for us all, Jew and non-Jew. And so Paul confronts him. And, and, and then throughout the rest of the New Testament, we see this early church in the first few decades still struggling with racism. Much of the book of Romans, much of the book of Ephesians, much of the rest of the New Testament is about how difficult this transition was for the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians to be able to get along and to respect each other and be considerate of each other and love each other the way Christ has loved and accepted us. Uh, and that was a difficult thing for them and it's a difficult thing for us. It's a difficult thing for us as Christians and we need to own that. 
but it's also a difficult thing for us as American citizens, and we need to own that as well. And so some of the events that have happened here in our country just recently uh, remind us that this is a struggle that we're still continuing to face. Um, and I want to say a couple of things about that. First of all, it's a systemic problem. There are problems within our system that, that keep coming up that remind us that as, as wonderful as it is to live in this greatest country in the world, and I think it is, that this is a, a problem in systems. It's a systemic problem, and we see that especially over these last several days in the horrific uh, murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis, uh, a white Minneapolis police officer who um, kept his knee on his neck for over eight minutes, even as he was saying, I, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Um, and ultimately, he, he stopped breathing. Uh, thankfully, those four officers, including uh, that one patrol officer were uh, uh, terminated from the police department, and now that officer has been charged with murder, and the other officers who were there and didn't do anything to stop it um, uh, are, are under investigation as well. But it is still a, a very deep and dark reminder that this is a systemic problem. But it's also an individual problem. It's a personal problem. We can't just write it off and say it's the government or it's our systems. It's it's me. Um, it's an individual problem and a personal problem. And we, and we see that in another viral video, a video that's been seen by a lot of people. Um, on the same day as George Cooper was killed, uh, on May 25th, uh, Melody Cooper, a white woman, uh, had a, a, a very racist response to an African-American man's request while they were in Central Park that she put her dog on a leash. And, and she responded in a horrible way. And Rather than just saying, you know, you're right, this is an area of the park where it's clearly marked that the dogs are to be on a leash. Other areas not, but this one, yes. Instead, she argued with the man, and, and in the process of, of that argument, she, um, she called uh, the police on, on him, and he was the one that was, that was calm. He was the one that was saying, please. He was the one um, that was not breaking uh, the law. And, and not following the ordinance as, as she was. And so it's both. It's both individual and systemic. And we see that in the death of Ahmad Arbery, a black man shot to death by two white vigilantes in Georgia on February 23rd. Um, tragic, tragic death. No matter, no matter what else was going on, there was no need for that man to be shot. And the question that I have that keeps coming up to me is what would have been different in all of these situations and so many others um, if, if the individual had been white and not black? And I think when we look at it that way, we realize that things would have gone much differently. And if that is true, then it is a racial issue. Uh, it is because of the sin of racism. And I can tell you that if if our first response is, look, I'm not a racist, but if that's our first response, then we might want to prayerfully consider how we may be a part of the problem. Having personally grown up in San Antonio, Texas in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, I realize that racism is, is in my DNA. Racism is a part of my heritage. It's what I grew up hearing and being around and participating in. 
uh, racism uh, because of that is a part of my default mode. It's what I go to if I just react naturally to things. Um, and it's something that I've had to continually watch out for. Racism is something that I still have to watch out for, even though I've been a preacher in the church for over 40 years uh, and now 63 years old, it is still something that I have to be on my guard against and something that I still at times will struggle with. The law enforcement officers I have known personally through the years, and I have known several and still do, uh, have always been ethical, genuine officers who sought to protect and serve the communities and citizens they served without regard to race, economics, or any other circumstance. They would be just as outraged as anyone over these recent incidents. My black friends that I have known also through the years, and I've had many, most of whom were active, faithful Christians, Christian leaders, many of them. They have helped me to realize that they have grown up and lived in a very different country than I have. Not because I'm such a better person, but simply because of the difference in our skin color. That shows that it's a systemic issue even still. More details of the events we've seen over these last few weeks and months will undoubtedly come out. And it's important for us that as we call for justice that we seek the truth. And those are not in incompatible. They do not have to be contradictory. Um, the desire uh, for justice and the desire for truth, we should be proponents of both. We pray uh, that our communities and our nation will find the justice and healing for which we all pray and seek and act. And again, that truth and justice, they are not incompatible. They should not contradict. And the senseless destruction and looting of property that we're seeing over these last few days simply does not help the cause for justice. But as a white male, I need to acknowledge that uh, their anger and their disappointment and their search for justice is, is, uh, looks far differently in their experience than, than it has for me and mine. And that's a part of trying to understand. We pray that our communities and our nation will be able to do that and that we'll be able to find that understanding and find that acceptance and, and be able to, to find fulfillment in that search for justice and for healing. But the situation must be acknowledged. We have a problem with racism in this country. I have a problem with racism. That's what needs to be said and acknowledged. So let's seek to listen. Let's seek to understand as best we can. And for me, a white male, um, I, I have to be careful when I look at my uh, uh, friends who are uh, black and others of color. I need, to be, I need to be very cautious about saying I understand because really I don't. I don't understand, but I, but I wanna try to. Let's seek to listen. Let's seek to understand as best we can and let's continue to pray and brainstorm and act to make a difference in our world, whether that difference seems large or tiny. Uh, maybe you feel like the, the, the little things that you can do 
um, won't make a big difference, but they will, and we need, we need to do them. And the most important thing we can do is to look to our God and to remember that we are all created in his image and to also remember that through the gospel of Christ, these words still ring true from Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the issue that will not go away but neither should our efforts to overcome it. I pray that you will be a part of those efforts.